Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So I'm told there's going to be 225 people vaccinated today. Yes. Uh, can you walk me through the process? So the patient comes. Um, we ask them if they're well today. Um, we check if they have any allergies, um, if they've ever had a... That's CNN allergy. correspondent Ivana Kotasova. She's speaking with nurse Sharon Chapman in a vaccination center set up in Cardiff, Wales. This is where yesterday some of the very first people in the world got the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. Have you vaccinated anyone yet? Yes. This morning, yes. how many people? Um, I think I've done five. Five. So and what was the reaction? Five. I mean, um, people were just really pleased uh-huh. to have had no it. nervousness or no. nothing. When do you think you'll be able to get one? This week. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you excited? Absolutely. Are you nervous at all? No. No. Bring it on. <laughs> Yesterday, the United Kingdom became the world's first nation to begin administering a fully authorized and vetted vaccine. This is a pretty historic moment. And as you could hear, there was a lot of excitement. Ivana watched as healthcare workers prepped the vaccine on site, diluting it and then preparing the individual doses. Most people got this first dose in their left arm. And Ivana says at her site, they were monitored for 15 minutes afterwards to make sure they didn't develop any immediate side effects. Back in the United States, we are now edging closer to our own authorization of a vaccine. An advisory committee for the Food and Drug Administration will consider recommending emergency use authorization for the Pfizer and BioNTech vaccine candidate on Thursday. This week, additional data from the clinical trials was released to the public, and I've had a chance now to review that information. It confirms that the vaccine is 95% effective at preventing COVID-19 and suggests that even just the first dose of the vaccine could offer some protection. So what is going to happen next? I sat down with the commissioner of the FDA yesterday, Dr. Stephen Hahn, to try and find out. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Well, sir, uh, it's been a a busy year, obviously, and a busy couple of days even. A lot of people have heard the news about these vaccines, Pfizer's and Moderna specifically. Is it pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point that they will be authorized at least under emergency use? Well, I'm not going to prejudge the decision-making of our career scientists, nor of the Vaccine and Related Biologics Advisory Committee, as you know. We have a process, and this is a very rigorous process to establish the safety and efficacy of a vaccine. Our team um, has done their initial analysis, and um, we do feel that um, preliminarily that the success criteria have been met. That's been reported in the press today. We have public documents out there, but we um, very much depend upon the outside experts from the vaccine uh, advisory committee. That'll happen on Thursday. Um, And then we expect we shortly thereafter to make a decision. 
What is the biggest problem you foresee now going forward? Let's just say that we hear on December 10th uh, and then on December 17th, at that point, that two vaccines have been authorized. I know that you can't say that as a foregone conclusion, which I understand, but let's just say it happens, which looks promising. What is the biggest problem do you see then over the next weeks and months? So, so um, if it were to happen, so using that hypothetical situation, I don't see any obstacles from an FDA perspective. One of the things we have to be really careful about, Sanjay, and we've seen this with therapeutics, is that we have to be very clear and transparent about why we made the decision, the data behind it. The other issue is, can we overcome what um, is clearly vaccine uh, uh, um, mistrust um, in this country, uh, a lack of confidence? And one of the reasons we've been very transparent about our process and putting public documents out and having the Vaccine Advisory Committee um, is, in fact, to uh, try to overcome as much as possible any mistrust there might be. Because at the end of the day, Sanjay, you and I have spoken about this before, it's the science and the data from the clinical trials that drive this decision, nothing else. But what about the long-term data? Getting to this trust thing again, we're talking about a genetic, you know, an mRNA vaccine. It's not been used before outside of a clinical trial. How do you instill trust when people say a, a, a genetic vaccine? Now, is it going to cause a long-term problem? Uh, we're going to put in place a very vigorous surveillance program. We call it pharmacovigilance, meaning let's keep track for the next two years at a minimum, um, both uh, effectiveness as well as safety associated with the vaccine. That includes continuing following people in the clinical trials. That includes looking at claims data from you know, uh, insurances. That means looking at uh, electronic health records. Now, de-identified to protect privacy, but we have to have a very vigorous approach in partnership with the CDC to gather those data. But I, I don't want anyone to think that this isn't something we always see with medical products. It's just heightened here because obviously this has moved through the development process very quickly. One of the things I read in the documents was that uh, people under the age of 16, pregnant women, and people with some sort of immune compromising situation may not be eligible for this vaccine. Is, is that what you took away from the data as well? Yeah, it's one of the factors that we did um, take away from the data. Um, here is what I think is really important and something that uniquely FDA does compared to most other regulatory bodies around the world is that we look at those issues. We're going to look at underrepresented minorities. We're going to look at the elderly. We're going to look at young folks, pregnant women, um, folks with uh, underlying immunodeficiencies, because these questions are very important. Providers and patients want to know them. So yes, that's part of the entire package that we'll uh, present to the Vaccine Advisory Committee. Another question that comes up a lot, Commissioner, right now the projections are that maybe 15 to 20% of the country has already had an exposure to the coronavirus and maybe generated antibodies. Uh, you know, we don't know for sure. Those are, those are estimates and models. But should someone who, who has been infected and may still have antibodies, should they still go ahead and get the vaccine? And, and if so, why? You know, is there something better about the vaccine in terms of how long it lasts or how strong the immune response is? So we actually, um, I think, as a medical community, don't know the complete answer to the question that you're asking. We did not require... Um, as part of the clinical trials, that someone um, have uh, you know prior knowledge, for example, of the infection. We do know that um, it is likely that some people who were asymptomatic and had the disease 
um, will have been entered into the trial. And so we know that there'll be some in the placebo group versus some in the active group. And when we look at the correlative data uh, that might be generated from these trials, that is antibody levels, et cetera, before and after, we'll be able to parse those issues out and, and uh, actually ask the question to figure that one out. When you start to do the math and you look at what is possible and available based on manufacturing, rollouts, all of that, when do you think most Americans will be able to get a vaccine that want one for real? Like, you know, taking all that into account. And what is the number that is necessary to get to the point where we have enough immunity into the country? So, Sanjay, um, with the second question, uh, most of the experts that I've spoken to have suggested that uh, 70 percent of the population will have to be immune. Um, now, it could be smaller, it could be larger, but that's the guess right now um, in order to really shut down the virus and frankly make it go away. That includes people who have had the virus itself and have natural immunity, um, as well as those who receive the immunization. So, you know, if you do the math, that's a little north of 200 million people um, in the U.S. who would have to receive that, the, the vaccine. Um, in addition to that, we're looking at a number of different factors. We have two applications in front of us. And the real question, and then Sanjay is number one, what's the ramp up of those vaccines? And we're working very hard with both manufacturers to try to uh, make sure there um, is a reasonable supply chain and also very important part of our responsibility that the quality manufacturing is there. We want every vaccine coming off the lot to be of high quality and the same that was used for the clinical trial. And I don't have a crystal ball, uh, but a lot of folks have predicted uh, late spring, summer for that sort of to occur. We'll see. Maybe it'll occur sooner because we'll have more uh, vaccines available from other manufacturers or from the two that we have in right now. But again, I don't think we can make predictions because we don't know the answer to those questions. You know, we had problems with things like nasal swabs with regard to testing earlier on in this pandemic. We're not going to run out of syringes or, or, or needles or things like that, are we? I do not believe so, Sanjay. We have provided technical assistance to um, Operation Warp Speed, and this has been a core responsibility for them. Since the summer, they've been actively um, uh, procuring the uh, supplies that you're talking about, which are absolutely critical, looking at from A to Z what would be involved in uh, the process of actually delivering a vaccine. In the news today, you've heard that 100 million doses of Pfizer's vaccine was were purchased, I guess, by Operation Warp Speed. They, I understand, had an option to buy more, but did not exercise that option to buy more. Uh, they have other vaccines that they're buying as well, another 100 million of Moderna, I believe 300 million of AstraZeneca, uh, 100 million of Johnson & Johnson. Was it a mistake for the government, the United States government, not to buy more of the, these vaccines? You know, I don't, you know, as you know, Sanjay, we have drawn a very bright line between the decision making at OWS and FDA. I don't have any insight into that because we provide technical assistance. We're not involved in those contractual discussions. And frankly, I've never been at a meeting where that was discussed. So I, I really can't answer your question one way or the other. And, and those questions really will have to be referred to OWS and the department. Just in our couple minutes remaining, you know, a lot of attention on the vaccine, obviously, but as you mentioned, Therapeutics and other things obviously come under your domain as well. The president says he received monoclonal antibody therapy when he was diagnosed with COVID. We had heard that Ben Carson also received it. But what about other people right now who hear those stories and say, okay, I'm in my 70s or 60s. I've got this. I'm pretty sick. What are the chances, the likelihood I could also get monoclonal antibody therapy as things stand now? 
Sanjay, really important question. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk about this. As you know, we've issued two emergency use authorizations or EUAs for monoclonal antibodies. What we've learned is the following. Monoclonal antibodies, as we know them now, and clinical trials are still ongoing, so we'll likely have more information in the future. The monoclonal antibodies we've authorized seem to work best for preventing hospitalization in outpatients early in their disease, typically within 10 days of the onset of symptoms, if you are a high-risk individual. So over the age of 65 or over the age of 55 with a comorbidity or, or you know some pre-existing illness that puts you at risk. We also specifically state that they shouldn't be given to people who are inpatients because there's a suggestion that they may not actually help but might be harmful for folks who are sicker with COVID-19. I would encourage your viewers to ask their providers about this. Uh, Commissioner, I, I know we're, we're basically out of time. Again, pending an authorization, you yourself or for your family would have no, no problem getting this vaccine at that point if it was offered to you when it is offered to you? Sanjay, if that were to occur, I have 100% confidence I will be the first one in line when it's appropriate for me to get that vaccine. And I'll ask my family to do the same. Now, as Dr. Han said, the FDA is likely to make its emergency authorization decision shortly after tomorrow's meeting. And I have to say, in my own opinion, based on the data I've seen now, authorization looks very likely. If that happens, it is possible we could see the first batch of vaccinations happen in the United States as soon as next week. Also, on Tuesday... Good afternoon. President-elect Joe Biden announced the health team that will guide his administration's pandemic response. California Attorney General Javier Becerra leads the team as Biden's nominee for Health and Human Services Secretary. They'll lead the COVID-19 response across the government to accelerate testing, fix our supply chain, and distribute the vaccine. They'll work with my economic team because controlling the pandemic delivering better health care, and reviving the economy go hand in hand. Look, there's a lot going on right now and a lot to be hopeful about. But we've still got a long way to go before we reach that level of vaccination required to achieve herd immunity and end this pandemic. We need to keep doing everything we can to slow the spread of the virus. This is not the time to be taking any risks. Hold on just a little bit longer. The end is in sight. Speaking of which, the new year is just around the corner. What are your hopes and dreams for the post-pandemic future? Once the virus is in the rearview mirror, what's the first thing you're going to do? Maybe it's something you've missed doing. Maybe you're thinking of planning something special. Big or small, silly or serious. We want to hear your plans. Record your thoughts as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might include them on an upcoming episode. We might include them in an upcoming episode. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 